Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with another episode of The Yacking Show. This is the show that provides you with a greater range of actionable ideas and tips for your business and for life than you'll find practically anywhere else in one place on the internet. We always have interesting guests for you, and today is no exception. But before we introduce the guests, let's introduce co-host Kathleen Beauvais from down the road in Waterloo, Ontario. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And we thank you for joining us today. And we so appreciate you. And we love reading your comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, please visit our website at theyackingshow.com. Click on the contacts tab. There's a short application form. And we'd love to hear from you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. His name is John Taylor. Hello, John. How are you? And you're coming to us from the UK. So welcome. Uh, hello, Kathleen. And hello, Peter. And um, I'm, well, delighted to be on your show. And I hope you're both well. And uh, thank you for having me today. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for that. And John, you are a performance mind coach, an NLP master practitioner, a mindfulness guru, and you teach meditation practices. And you also have 20 years of experience in coaching, leadership management, and mentoring. And you're also a radio presenter and a podcast host. My goodness. <laughs> I can't wait to delve into this. But for our audience, can you give us a little bit about yourself, about your background, and how you got into coaching and consulting? Uh, yes, but when you start to reel off all of them things, are the many different hats that I do. I think that as you go through life, you find yourself doing. I'm, I'm quite a variety kind of person, as you can tell by the the amount of different things that I do. Um, I'm ex forces. I, I joined the army at a young age, at 17. But before that, I lived all over Europe and different parts of the of the world as well with my father and my family. Moving schools every two years, we always. Um, had to make new friends. And sometimes I would move in the middle of term time and the education system for me growing up wasn't wasn't the greatest because it wasn't stable. Mm. And um, my education comes through traveling, learning, the variety of different people and, and, and different things. Um, I joined at 17, joined the army and off I went, spread my wings, went to Bosnia, Northern Ireland, Afghanistan, operational tours, that kind of thing. Um, spent a bit of time in Canada, where you guys are from, a place called Medicine Hat, six weeks oh, yes. on the prairie. It was about this time in 1996, actually, uh, or 97 it might have been. And I remember it getting to about minus 28 wind chill factor, which was pretty <laughs> which was pretty cold. I think we all might get brought in off the exercise. Um, and I know that we're both in November and we're coming up to Christmas at that time of year. Um, but yeah, when I left the military, I... And they then ended up working for a mental health charity called Veterans at Ease mm-hmm. um, and helping veterans who were struggling with post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And I trained in NLP and we were using that as a therapy. And then I love golf as, as as you know, it's one of the things that I've been involved with throughout my whole life and playing golf since years of about eight or nine years old. And I realized how powerful the NLP was that I then took it into performance psychology and worked with professional amateur golfers as well. And then the knock-on effect got into the podcasting and then the radio. So it was a trickle feed of taking risks, pushing myself out there and really stretching the boundaries of why I've ended up doing what I do now. Oh, excellent. Mm-hmm. And I must excellent. pardon my ignorance, but they allowed you into the Army at the age of 17? 
Yes, you could actually join at 16 then, or 15 and three quarters, but you would have to have your parents' con consent. Oh. Um, I was actually, when I went to Bosnia at 17 years old, was classed as one of the youngest servant soldiers in operational war, and then they changed the date, so you had to be 18 after that. So they changed the law in oh, about okay. 95. The year I actually deployed, <laughs> I think the month I went, I was still 17 um, in the August. I wasn't 18 until the September. And then the, the change the laws after that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. So I, I had a, I'm, I've got something for you in a moment, but I just, that reminds me that I lived in Rhodesia when I was young and we had national service. We had a terrorist war and we were called up at 18. We could go at 17 like you with parental permission, but uh, once you got to 18, they called you up, and unless you had a very good reason, you were in the army. <laughs> so I did nine nine months when I was, yeah, just on 18. I think I was 19 after I came out, did nine months initial training, and then 10 years part-time after that. So I I know the feeling of seeing schoolboys <laughs> carrying guns and in army uniforms. <laughs> I know that feeling. So what I want, that, But that leads me into the question I wanted to ask you was, you had quite an extensive military background and you were on operational tours in several places and saw action and that. So how did that um, prepare you and motivate you for the work you do now with sportsmen and uh, men and women and young adults? Um, it's the, the fear factor of winning and losing. I was actually thinking about this today and when we win at something, there's all of the hype around, um, you know, watching Argentina and Lionel Messi to get into the semi-final, the you know, into the finals now as of last night. But that that path that it takes to win something and the amount of sacrifice it takes to become your best, when you reach that best, the fallout is just as a, just sometimes when you lose as well, um, mm -hmm. and it's sort of like that counterbalance between right, what's wrong, the yin and the yang. And um, I think the preparation that I had in the military, when I work with people now on a, a professional front, whether they're a business owner or the sportsman, we just identify what is it that they're really pushing for and what's that going to look like and how does that feel and really getting them submerged into either that winning feeling, but also focusing on when things don't go too right. Mm -hmm. Because, um, I think that, you know, the fear of failure is probably one of the most dreaded things why we put off things that we don't do. And also, there is no failure. When you feedback, and we're probably going to fail more times than we win. But yep. yeah, when we actually win at something, and we're like, yes, I've been promoted, or I've won the Claret Jug, or I've won the, the World Cup. What happens to you afterwards? Um, who do you become? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a professional athlete that plays in front of thousands of people, and then all of a sudden, doesn't play in front of anybody. It's like the soldier who's surrounded by his buddies and then hasn't yep. got anybody. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a lot of mental health around sort of like winning and losing in sport mm -hmm. as well. I, I think, Sorry, yeah. Kathleen, I want to follow that up with one for John. Uh, did you find, and I, I certainly found this in my experience, and I, I, you saw more action than I did, I guess. Um, did it help your resilience? Because the army, well, our motto in the army, I don't know about the British army, was hurry up and wait, right? Because it's it's 90% boredom and 10% of pure terror or something like that. But I found going through that experience for nine months consecutively and then many, many tours of duty afterwards, it just helps you get through the real drudgery 
and also the real dangerous stuff. And, and I'm not talking about people shooting at you, but um, the boredom of being on guard and all that. You know, and we don't have those situations in real life, but I found the going through it at one period really helped me with the bad parts that came in later in life or the, or the boring. But did you find the same? Um, resilience is such a vast yeah. word now, isn't it? It's used yeah. in so many different ways. Um, I was fortunate enough to teach 15 to 16-year-old high school kids that were about to go into employment about resilience. And what we done, we just taught them about emotional intelligence in order to mm -hmm. combat and help with their resilience. And I think that you can never compare somebody else's resilience to another one because it's all based on life experience. Sure. Um, so it's how your internal map is and what you, you know, you become. Some They say some people are tougher than others. They might be look tougher on the outside, but on the inside, they could be less resilient than the person next to them, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Kathleen, back to you. Tell our audience, uh, John, about the performance mind coaching and how it helps improve mental health for success. Um, it, I think it depends on the person that you're working with and how the alignment of that relationship is, the bond between the coach and the, the client. If you haven't got, you could have the greatest coach on the planet working with somebody that might not get how they work and it might not connect. So that's the first thing that I look for when I work with people is that, that alignment. Have we got, is there a common bond between us? Am I in a position to support your need? Mm -hmm. And what I can offer, does that help? Mm -hmm. And if you haven't got that, I won't take them on. Right. But I just feel as if um, the way that I do my coaching is um, I, I, I practice a lot of like the centering, the being, the living in the now, the present, the mindfulness, the you know, um, sometimes don't plan too much. I don't. I've stepped away from setting goals. I, I look at intentions. So I look at um, let's set an intent. Do you intend to do something, or are you going to set a goal that you want to be something? Because I think if you intend to do something, it's got more power than the goal. So intention, right? Um, that that's a lot more more brave. It comes with a lot more, <laughs> yeah. And uh, and this mm -hmm. fascinates me because you teach meditation practices and and um, I love the idea of meditation. I've tried it. I've I've and I, it requires practice. It really does, doesn't it? But is there any tips that you can give to our audience members that they can for beginners who find it very hard? Because I find that my mind sabotages the peacefulness that I'm trying to achieve in my own mind and, you know, thoughts crawl in and you just, it's very, I find it very, it disrupts that whole Zen feel. <laughs> how do you, how do you, how, any tips? Um, well, I was fortunate enough to work with Dr. Joseph Parent who wrote Zen golf master in the mental game. Right. So about two or three years ago, I reached out to Dr. Johnny and, and we ended up working together. So learning from how he, you know, Joe's in his seventies now. He's he's worked with VJ Singh, world number one golfers. You know, Oscar De La Hoya, that kind of stuff. Learning about how he uses the Zen, the mindfulness practices, to function in everyday life. So some people stop to meditate and they say, "Right, well, I meditate for ten ten minutes a day in the morning and at night." And what they tend to do is they'll come out of their busy schedule, they'll put their phone away, they'll sit there for five minutes or ten minutes, they'll do some breathing exercises, 
and then they'll just go and pick up the phone and then they're back in the world of chaos. When actually you can be mindfulness and meditate in every walk and every day of life, like we can now as we're talking. So we just stop, pause and be present and allow it to come in what comes in and let, let it flow through and out and within. So stop. Where am I? I'm on a call with you guys. Pause. Oh, what's happening? You're in Canada. I'm, I'm in the UK. And be present. So that's mm. the time and the space of now. And the more you practice that, you can meditate when you're walking, when you're having your food. You can be mindfulness of conversations. Time and space, that kind of thing is, I think when you practice that, then when you actively go to meditate, it becomes a little bit more subtle and easy rather than saying, I am going to meditate right now for 10 minutes <laughs> and be hard on you to try to get into a place of meditation. Okay. When so we already, when we can, yeah. So just so that I'm clear. So if I'm, for instance, if I'm, if I'm sitting down to the table and I'm having my dinner is just to, to focus on having my dinner and what I'm eating and just enjoying the moment Whereas if I'm eating and I'm thinking about all of the other things that I need to do later in the evening, that's not being mindful. That's, again, all of the disruptions coming in to sabotage that mindful moment. Is is that an example? Yeah. Well, all of that stuff's going to be there when you finish your dinner. Sure. <laughs> sure. But the fact that I've taken a moment. Yeah or a few minutes to have dinner and just focus and be present. And, uh, okay. That's it. That's so, yeah. interesting. So 60 to 70,000 thoughts we have a day to try to pay attention and solve all of them at once would drive you insane. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's really just, I think the more you can do, be like be human being. I love that saying instead of human doing, mm -hmm. just savoring their moments of, the things that you can have um, is really powerful because I think the more you practice doing that away from your profession, the more you are better at doing your profession as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because it's, mm -hmm. it's all, it's all in playing you. Mm. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Very Thank good. Very, very useful. But is there, is there a place for conscious apart meditation? Um, <clears throat> is there still a place for that sort of, some people like rituals, so 10 minutes every evening, 10 minutes or five minutes in the morning. Um, if one can meditate effectively, is, is there a place for that? Yeah, I think you've got to do what's right for you as a right. person. Um, I'm not saying, when when people say, oh, I've tried meditation, I'm like, well, how long did you try it for? And this is, well, I tried it for 10 minutes and it didn't work. I'm like, well, that's like saying I went to the gym once and I'm not like mm -hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, it's like, it, I, I think that you can just be mindful in everyday moment is what the message is that I would share sure. people. Yeah, no, no, I understand it, that. It, it, it's, it, good. it's great. It's great that you get the cushion out and you can sit there and have that because that is better than not doing anything at all, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't, no, work thank you. it doesn't work for everybody. Right. No, for sure. For sure. Very good. I want to ask you about golf. You talk about golf as an ideal support sport to increase mental toughness. Uh, tell us more. Tell our audience more about that. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, you talk about the stop pausing and be present and commitment to life. Golf is like life, isn't it? You, yeah. You, you commit to that one shot 
if it doesn't work, how do you respond? And it is like literally, you speak to the the greatest golfers on the planet and you listen to their stories on how they won. It's like the crowd wasn't even there. They were just so, they call it the zone, but I call it a place that you go to. And and stepping in and out of that focus is really positive as well. So to stay completely entwined in something for four hours is, is mind-torturing. But after you've played your shot, relax, take in the scenery, have a little chat with your buddies, you know, just keep walking. Then when you get into your playing rhythm, as I call it, or the zone, step into it, step in and out of the consciousness of, of, of playing golf as well. Right. People say, oh, you have to be in that zone for four hours. It's just like, mm, that's difficult. You wouldn't, you know, like you mentioned, Kathleen, about having your food, you know, sitting eating your food for four hours and being in that moment would start after eventually 20, 30 minutes start to take its toll. You would drift. And I think golf's the same, you know, because it's so individual as well that mm-hmm. you are just making decisions on any given moment. But I would say relax the mind be present as much as you can in golf and then for them moments that you play in your shot yeah really switch on yourself and the ability will just start to flow right well as you mentioned you were mentored by dr joseph parent will parent will will give him another plug here author of the zen golf um mastering the mental game how has that influenced the direction of your practice um that's another strange thing that happened by chance. I um I was actually sitting on the bus and I was listening to a story about asking for help. And it said that if you're going to ask for help, don't just ask somebody to help you move a set of or bung them 20 quid. If you're going to, there's a few rules that come in with asking for help. Like go to somebody and be direct. But also whatever help that's give you, make sure you go back to the person and tell them the impact it's had. Mm-hmm. Because you've helped me. Um you know, opened up that door. Mm-hmm. I've now got a job in radio and I'd like to thank you for that because we're, we're very easy of just going through the world in this cycle of forgetting to go back. So I actually told Dr. Joe the podcast that I listened to and he says, I'm I'm going to ring you tomorrow. And I was like, oh, oh what? You're going to phone me? He says. So we exchanged numbers and he looked at me and he says, what do you want? I says, will you mentor me? He says, yes. And since then, we started working together. We'll doing some chats and calls. Um, I haven't actually spoke to him for about a year, but then sessions that we've had, every time I come off them, it just inspired me to kick on with what I was doing and he always was helpful in, in the guidance of my journey and which which direction I was heading. And the way that I coach and practice is, um, you know, is similar to what Dr. Joe does. I know he's got a lot more experience, but I'm 45 years old, so my time will come. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Thank you. Oh, good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you started just started a new. I looked on your website and some information you sent us. You started a new business called Leave Your Voice, which uh, yes. <laughs> I I think is is really good, and and I find it quite intriguing how you're putting that together. So, do you want to tell our audience a bit about that? So, about um, January this year, I was sitting in my flat. Um, I didn't have many clients. I had two or three coaching clients i was about to start a job with uh disengaged kids coaching and mentoring them back and you know they've dropped out the education system i was working i work at a football stadium soccer to use guys and doing stadium announcing mm-hmm. i just 
you know, a year on the radio with my own chat show. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm just in, intrigued by people's life stories and what they've got to offer. And um, I've actually got the box with me now. <laughs> oh, there we go. Here's the box. Um, so this is called Leave Your Voice. And on there, there's a little wooden memory stick. Yep. And the, it goes, it's the initials and the date of the interview. And then it comes in it. I interview the people about their life, their journey. And the whole story goes on to this and it gets passed on to the loved ones when they, mm-hmm. when they pass away. So they get to listen to what they might not have been able to tell them or share an in, insightful tip and leave that, you know, I, I had somebody come up to me and say that they keep ringing their parents' phone who's passed away just to hear their voicemail. Ah. So if you could have a cu- couple of hours um, of me questioning people and we get photos down from the loft and we ask them about where they've lived in the world and what they've travelled and what they've done. Um, oh, yeah, leave your voice. And that's mm-hmm. how it was a bit of adversity. I was pulling my hair out when I haven't got any, I know, but I was thinking, what can I do with myself? And I just put all of my skills together and, and I created that idea. So Excellent. No, what a good idea. And I, the beauty of it, as we find from doing this podcast for three years, is if you're a skilled interviewer, not that I necessarily am, but you've had a lot of experience, you can get a lot more of that person's story out than if they were to just try and record it on their own, right? Yeah. because you're asking the right question. No, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I do too. Well, yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. You. well Thank done. You guys. So I know that Kathleen's got something else to ask you, but I, while I've got you, um, tell our audience about your podcast and your radio show. What do you do? My podcast was called Keep Sharing, and that was based off Dr. Joe's last words he said to me when we finished the call. He's like, John, keep sharing. So always keep share sharing. what you've got to keep sharing. Um, that was, I, I think I've done about 22 episodes on that. And then I was just working for a local community radio station for about a year. Uh, had my own chat show, and it would just be a little bit like what you guys are doing now. Mm-hmm. Get people on, come and tell us what you're doing, play some music. Um, and I actually had to park the radio because real work got in the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, uh, because it wasn't paid work on the radio. And, and now right. it was an experience, and I enjoyed every moment of it. And um, I would like to get back into radio, but we'll just see. But I fell into it. I wasn't. I wasn't like I want to be a radio presenter. It was just one right, of those right. right time, right place moments, you know. And I ended up yeah. being live, using all the equipment, mixing, playing music, and having chats. It's good oh, fun. well done, well done. Thank you, Kathleen. So, John, what does the future look like for your coaching business and working with sports people? Um. Well, these guys have interviewed. Dave Schultz, haven't you? Yes, from yes. Next Links. Mm-hmm. Uh, me yeah. and Dave met about seven years ago at the oh. London Golf Show. I am. Um, I've actually applied for some funding to do a research project on the mental and physical well-being that golf can bring to you as an individual mm-hmm. and as a nation. I find out if I'm successful in February for that. Oh. So that'll be me traveling around the world, doing projects, talking to players, caddies, course designers, everybody in, involved in the industry to raise the profile of the game as we know live golf are doing a good job of that at the moment mm-hmm. with all mm-hmm. of the all of the hype um so i look at golf from a more human performance driven scope rather than it being what dave does with the technology so hopefully we, we're going to end up working together and building some castles oh very good well <clears throat> yesterday we interviewed uh, newt newland from ontario who's a golf course owner 
here in Ontario, who also follows Dave Schultz and and was introduced to us by Dave Schultz. So his episode will be published about a week before yours. And if you get your fund, or when you no, let's be positive. When you get your funding, he's got some really good marketing ideas for his golf course. So mm-hmm. there'd be a good one for you to go and see. So yeah. uh, mm-hmm. when it's Brilliant. published, have a look, have a look at that one. So now let, let me ask you my burning question that I ask all our successful guests on our show. And you've you've had a successful life with lots of lots of wide experience. So in that experience, I'm talking military, coaching, everything, all the people you've met and worked with, is there one habit, mindset, or or characteristic that differentiates the successful? And I don't just mean accumulating wealth and making a lot of money. I mean having a balanced life, having a good life. Is this one single thing that differentiates them from those who merely remain average, or is it more complicated? Um, doesn't matter how you feel, whether you're having a shit day, excuse the French, or you're having the best day on the planet, um, gratitude, as we know, is one of the biggest things that we can yeah. And that's sometimes difficult to even feel when you're not feeling good. But when you are feeling great, share that. And and everything's got a ripple effect. We're an energy. We're made up of a mass. But one of the things I say to my, especially the kids that I work with at Nudge, is that one of them, I, I, I said, just show up. Just doesn't matter how you feel. Just turn up. Just turn up to what you're meant to be doing because you just do not know what might happen or who you might be doing. So yeah. just just show up, show up in the world. One yeah. as difficult or as challenging as things may become, um, stretch out your map, your shell, and show up, turn up. Mm-hmm. Very good. And I'll just throw in that we've asked that question of probably something like 150 guests on this show, and nobody says go to university, get an MBA, get a good job. Not a single person. It's all. Gratitude, persistence, perseverance, resilience, curiosity is a big one. So, and there's not that many. I, I guess there's 10, 12 at, at the most. It's all in that that area, right? Yeah, but definitely sure. So, and a big thank you to Dave Schultz for putting us together as well. I'd like to plug him. He's, he's a great guy. And oh, he is. His, his, his vision is just way out there. And I think that's why we connected. That's right. Um, he, yep. I just felt everything that he said and, and believed what he was trying to do with the game and, and, and still will yeah, continue yeah. to him the best way that I can. Oh, Good. Fantastic. Back to you, oh, Kathleen. Yes. Well, John, we're running short on time here. So can you tell uh, our audience how they can contact you? LinkedIn's my main one. I've actually deleted all the other platforms. I'm not a big fan of them anymore, but that's a whole new probably episode. Um, just for my own sanity a little bit. I LinkedIn, John Taylor, performance psychology expert on there. Um, or you can email me at John what's in the bag at gmail.com and I will reply with any questions that you might have. Excellent. Well, right. thank you so much for being with us today, John. We so appreciated having you. And we thank you for tuning into the show. And until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you so much. Thank I you. Appreciate it.